Welcome to the Social Pros Podcast, the content marketing awards winner for best marketing podcast. This is where we shine the spotlight on real people doing real work in social media and learn the social secrets of the world's most interesting brands. Social Pros is sponsored by integrated PR software from Cision, by the easy to use farm builder FarmStack, by social audience analysis software Affinio, and by social media engagement software from Sprout Social. Your Social Pros co-hosts are Adam Brown from Salesforce Marketing Cloud and Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. Ready? Let's get to work. Hey everybody, it's Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, and this is another episode of Social Crows. I'm joined today by my pal Adam Brown, the executive strategist from Salesforce Marketing Cloud. We actually recorded this episode live on Blab.im. Love that platform. We do uh, shows on there occasionally. However, I, Jay Bear, podcasting veteran, uh, forgot to hit record uh, until we were a couple of minutes into the show. So consequently, the introductions of our special guests were cut off. So I'm going to uh, tell you who they are right now. Uh, the gentleman that you'll hear speaking is Drew McClellan, who is the founder of the Agency Management Institute and a good friend, uh, probably my favorite or at least a second favorite person in the state of Iowa. He is joined by my old friend, Susan Beyer, who is the founder of a company called Audience Audit, which does market segmentation research for agencies all around the country. Susan and I actually used to work together uh, at my previous firm off Madison Ave uh, years before I started Convince and Convert. So we had Susan and Drew and myself and Adam live on Blab.im. You can probably see, uh, you can in fact see the video of this if you go to convinceandconvert.com or socialpros.com to find the show notes. Uh, And here as we join the podcast in progress, uh, Drew is uh, introducing himself and Susan and how they got together. Uh, the reason we had them on the show is that uh, Drew's uh, group at AMI and Susan at Audience Audit did a survey of uh, thousands of uh, marketers and asked them how they handle agencies, how they hire agencies, how they fire agencies, why they hire and fire agencies, the role of social media in agency hiring and firing, etc. Fascinating conversation. We really enjoyed it, and I hope you will as well. Thanks as always. This is Jay Bear what clients are thinking about and why they do the weird things that they do. So part of the AMI's role is to sort of bring that insight uh, to our clientele. So uh, I had met Susan at a Bolo conference a few years ago, and we realized that A, we serve the same audience, and B, that our clients have a lot of the same questions around what clients are thinking and doing. And so a couple of years ago, we partnered and we went out into the field and we talked to clients, CMOs, business owners, uh, about their relationship with agencies, how they viewed agencies. And and the research we're going to talk about today is our second go-in. So we Mm -hmm. did it in the summer of 2014 first and now 2015. And this research, and I'll let Susan talk a little bit about the methodology, but this research was around the great mythical unicorn of new business and why clients hire and fire agencies. And so that's Mm -hmm all we focused on and the results were fascinating and sort of horrifying in some places. Uh, but at least now we know what the gig is. Yeah. I mean, um, one of the things we wanted to look at Jay and you're, you're familiar with our approach here at audience audit, but, um, you know, a lot of agencies are looking at prospective clients in terms of size or billings or, um, the size of their marketing staff or, you know, uh, market share, any of those kinds of things. And what we've come to realize, and we saw very clearly in the study we did in 2014, was that those things aren't as important as 
the organization's attitudes about agencies and the kinds of relationships they want to have with agencies um, that that really span across all of the sort of demographics of, of organizations. So when we decided to drill down into the hiring and firing question, we wanted to look at it the same way based on sort of how these folks were looking at that um, that process, what they were looking for, how they wanted agencies to behave during that process. Um, and it was, it was, it was really eye opening. And again, we saw um, that things like company size and staff size aren't as important as agencies may be thinking. Even budget really wasn't one of nope. the things that differentiated them in any way. Yep. Yep. One of the things I thought was really interesting in the research first is that I think you surveyed what five hundred companies with with yeah. marketing budgets. That's a lots of that's a big project. Five hundred respondents. Yeah, yeah, we had five hundred completed respondents. We we really wanted a sizable group. The work we do is statistically significant, you know, quantitative research. So we needed to have a lot of them. We worked with a great partner, and this was Research Now, which is a big panel provider, mm -hmm. um, and helped us get a, a you know highly verified group of respondents. These folks were all um, working in organizations that had marketing budgets of at least half a million dollars or more. They're all decision makers with regard to hiring and firing agencies. And they have all hired an agency within the last two years. And half of them, it turned out, had also fired an agency <laughs> in the last two years. Although that is not a stipulation we put on participation. That's just an organic out. result. Half of them had also fired one. So it was a really interesting group and a large group, which means that the study is really good from a statistical standpoint. And again, also budgets of what, Susan, a half a million to about four or five four, million. Four million and up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good spread. It's <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm sure we'll get to this, but we have a, I don't remember. 20 page or so report on the research, yes. which obviously we'll make available in the show notes and wherever Absolutely. else. Absolutely. You, you should uh, type it into the messages, type a link into the messages uh, box over there too. So people can uh, jump on that right now when they're tuning in live on Blab. If you're catching this on iTunes, uh, we are recording this episode live on blab.im, which we love dearly. Um, one of the things I found really interesting in the report is that more than half uh, of the respondents actually currently maintain more than one agency. Do, yeah. Does that surprise you? Uh, or is that different than what you've seen in the past? Right. No, it actually aligns perfectly with what we saw in 2014. So again, as I said earlier, some of the results are sort of horrifying to agencies, but <laughs> in the, in the research, what we saw was over half of them have more than one agency and some of them have four or more of them. And, and they like it that way. Unfortunately, yeah. I know that's not news that agencies want to hear, but the reality is most clients today aren't that excited about a one agency relationship. And that's what we saw last summer when the study we did included folks with somewhat smaller budgets. Yeah. Um, so it seems to be fairly pervasive. Um, you know, there are always folks out there that only have one agency, but there are far more than uh, I think anybody would have expected that are working with multiple agencies at the same time for different reasons. One of the things that is particularly germane to the kind of work that, that I do and the work that Adam does is, is that companies that have sort of been burned in the past by, by an agency relationship subsequently give all of their agencies less credit for digital knowledge and content marketing knowledge. Yep. Why, why do you think that is? I don't know exactly why that is. I mean, that that group is fascinating because there's a, you know, about a third of the folks we talk to feel like that, feel like agencies lie to them to get the business. They don't treat them well once they get hired and they really go into this 
um, assessment of agencies, assuming that it's going to go poorly for them in the end. Um, and so, you know, like you said, one of the things is that I think they just are, are generally more distrustful of agencies. It seems like they've all had a bad relationship in the past. So I don't know whether that result is specifically because the agencies they were unfortunate enough to work with treated them poorly and didn't demonstrate the expertise that they were looking for, or if they just sort of have this bad sort of, you know, Instagram filter over any agency and the likelihood that they'll be good at what they do. Yeah. I think part of it too, in fairness is, you know, a lot of agencies faked it for a long time and really didn't have the that they should have had. And, you know, I think back when social and digital was sort of all new and it was sort of this black magic voodoo, um, you could fake it for a while, but sooner or later, the metrics didn't support the spend. And so unfortunately, I think our industry has sort of done it to ourselves in many cases. Well, and to, to that point, Drew, um, I, I certainly agree. A lot of agencies kind of faked it as it related to the early days of social and, and digital. And I also accept the idea that most customers, most clients want multiple agencies. What I'm curious about from your research, though, is do we see an amalgamation of the different disciplines of agencies? I mean, you know, typically in the olden days, you had your PR agency, you had your advertising agency. You maybe had your digital agency, you had your media buying agency, and maybe an event agency. Do we see now that some of these things are coming together? I mean, the, the demarcations between paid, earned, and owned media are really no longer there. Is right. that changing the whole makeup of, of what an agency is, both large and small? Well, cer- certainly it's a couple of things. One, I think one of the reasons why people are hiring multiple agencies is because they can't find an agency or they don't believe they found an agency that can do it all. Secondly, I do think agencies are evolving into something very different than, you know, I've been in the agency business my whole life. And so, you know, the agency, you know, when I was with Y&R back in the late 80s, that agency model looks very different to what an agency looks like today. Think about the deliverables that an agency and even the way an agency makes money today is very different. And so I think agencies are growing up and catching up with the demands of the clients. I just think one of the things the research is showing us is agencies have been a little slow to change. And and I think it's fair to say from our research that um, they're looking for different things in agencies and, you know, not everybody wants an all in one agency. There's certainly a group in this study that really wants a partner through thick and thin, all kinds of strategic planning activities day in and day out, not just when they're doing their annual budgeting and all of that kind of stuff. But but we've got another group that is is really sort of perfectly happy to dip in and use specialists for various kinds of things and then move on. In fact, they're required by their organization to move on, even if they like somebody they're working with, they've got to do reviews, they've got to use new, you know, so their relationships with agencies is different. So I think it's sort of a false assumption on our part that everybody's looking for that full integrated can do everything with the same team kind of folks, because clearly there's, um, there, there are folks out there who that's not a priority. Well, the, group, the, group, the group Susan's talking about, they don't want strategy, they want somebody just to execute their ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, if that's really what you want, why wouldn't you hire an SEO specialist, a PR specialist, fill in the blank, yep. because you're going to tell them what to do anyway. Yep. We, yeah, I, I'm really glad you mentioned that, Drew, because I, I pulled out of the data uh, an interesting point, at least it was interesting to me, in that only half of the companies that responded 
felt like agencies in general, not just their agencies, but agencies in general, uh, are good at marketing strategy. To, to which I thought, well, then why are why you, you an agency? agency? Yes, right. um, but but right. I think Drew nailed that right. If if look, if you feel like you have strategy handled internally, then what you really need are best of breed, you know, Swiss army knife people. Um, I need a spoon and I need a toothpick and I need a can opener. Um, so go get me the best can opener shop to just open cans. Um, yep. cause we, we, we know our own strategy. Uh, and, and I find that really interesting because uh, it would be, it would be interesting to cross cut the data by that someday and do a, do a, do a report on, do you think, you know, strategy? Yes or no. And then how does that shape your opinion right. of what agencies are good for. And I think the key word there is think, right. because right. they may or may not be doing a great job from yeah. a strategic standpoint. As our agencies, and, and looking at them from a prospect standpoint, it probably doesn't matter from our standpoint. It's how they feel about where they are and what they're looking for that we have to pay attention to. Yeah. Well, and I, and yeah. I think that's a common thread we, we have seen through two years of research now is there is a subset of clients who really believes that they own the strategy and that an agency couldn't possibly understand their business sure. the that they do. And so just do what I tell you. Thank you very much. Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of money in the do what I tell you business. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, those folks are spending a lot on agencies. So it's not that they're bad folks to work with, but certainly as an agency, you got to kind of pick which types of clients are, are, um, are the ones that you want to go after because they're really different. Well, in fact, they, if I remember right, Susan, from the 2014 research, they actually had a little higher budget and a higher price point because they knew they were hiring specialists. So, mm -hmm. And they do in this research, surgeon. too. There's a little bit of a higher spend yeah, related. Willing to, to pay for the brain surgeon over the GP because that's what they wanted. Yeah. And, and and to that point, Susan, what side of the camp are those experts uh, on? You know, I think I've always said that there's always kind of an era, much like lapels on a, on a suit or how wide a tie is. You have the eras where it's the creative shops that are really, really hot. Then it's the more technical strategery type sites. So kind of art and science. So right now, what kind of era are we as it relates to agencies? Is this more about the creativity? Is it more about the science? And are the specialists, you know, for the people who are listening, who are kind of looking for jobs in social media, already have a job in social media, do you think it's better for them to be focusing more on the science and the technology and the analytics? Obviously, you're the analytic person, but, yeah. you know, and, 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 and Drew, true too, or is the creativity and the way to use that and harness that science uh, a better place to kind of put your investment? Well, I'd be interested in Drew's perspective on this, but I'll tell you from the data um, there's an overwhelming interest in demonstrable results and being oh, able right. to actually show data associated with the work that you're accomplishing for clients, regardless of what segment people are in. That's really important. So I don't think it can be an either or anymore. I think um, having good analytics and having a good data-based approach to the work that you're doing and and being able to demonstrate its efficacy is, is sort of a cost of entry. Now it's fundamental, whether you're an SEO expert or whether you want to be one of these integrated all around kind of agencies, I don't think you can make that choice. Well, the things go ahead, Drew. Overall, here's what we're seeing is both in the data and just, you know, I'm, I'm seeing the full financials of about 150 to 200 agencies a year. So I'll tell you the ones that are making money are the ones that are delivering measurable ROI. So the agencies that have figured out how to influence the sales funnel and then track their efforts through the sales funnel so they can say to a client, we brought this person in two years ago and they bought something today. Yeah. And for the $250,000 spend, 
we've delivered this much in leads and sales mm-hmm. for you. The agencies that are doing that, clients are literally saying to them, I want to increase my budget. Yeah. yeah let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about people. On creative, mm-hmm. and creative alone are, are struggling because they're a commodity today. Somebody's always going to be more creative, right? Well, I mean, and in fact, it's a causing a problem inside agencies because in a traditional agency, the creatives were always the cool kids, right? Yeah. So they were always sort of the king and queen in agencies. And now all of a sudden, the data nerds are the cool kids. And the creatives are seeing their work being marginalized and they're doing banner ads and stuff that's not very sexy and creative anymore. And so there's this whole sort of why the hell am I here and what is my role in the agency anymore that a lot of agency owners are having to deal with with their creative staff. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's it's creative. not about the Clios and the bronze lions no. and the no. uh, and the and the gold pencils. In the anymore. big box in the big box agencies, it probably still is. Yeah. But for every Whedon and Kennedy out there. There's a hundred eight-person shops in a second-tier market that live and breathe on helping their clients sell more stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, things I, that we go ahead, Susan. Oh, I was just going to say there's an interesting data point in the study about this whole question of um, you know how agencies are using data. The fascinating thing to me was that a third of the folks in our study are establishing their own marketing budgets in very sophisticated ways using customer value and all sorts of, you know, it's not just we'll stick 5% on top of what we had last year or we'll get X percent of revenue. You still see some of those folks, but a full third of our folks and more in some of these segments are really doing a much more sophisticated approach to how they're spending their money, which I think is why they're looking for their agencies to be able to sort of give them some of those demonstrable measures because then they can assign that a value in their budgeting standpoint, decide what they want to spend. One of the amazing things in the research, and I just want to recap this for folks who've joined since we started off, is that half, half of the people who responded to the survey, half of 500 companies have fired an agency in the past 24 months. Okay, so that in and of itself is pretty remarkable. But then the, the research from Audience Audit and the Agency Management Institute found that amongst those firings, which we're talking about more than 250 firings mm-hmm. amongst those firings, 46% of the time, the agency was fired because they did not achieve results. Right. 31% of the time, it was lack of attentiveness. So the human side, like, didn't do account good account management, didn't feel like you were cared about, etc. Susan and I worked together on an initiative years ago uh, to to create uh, the, the most measurable type of agency. And we we really led with reporting and tracking and, and those kind of things. We were well ahead of the curve on that, as it turns out. Um, but even today, we still have now in 2016, nearly uh, a huge percentage of agencies that that are not leading with measurables. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you measure, you will get the budget, period. Like those who measure will win eventually. But yet, you know, here we are, uh, what, a hundred years since the invention of agencies, and we still have a third of people getting fired because they don't take care of their clients at the human level. Drew, talk about that. I mean, you've been in this business forever uh, and you work with so many agencies. Like, how is that even possible at this point? Well, I think it's possible because I think oftentimes, uh, and you all know this, you know, the agency training model is we wait until we're, we've needed someone for six months and the client's about to fire us. We finally hire someone. The initiation process is here's your desk. Here's the bathroom. You have a client meeting at 10 go. And, you know, then you expect these 22 year old kids to know how to take care of clients. Yeah. Part of it is agency's fault. We don't train people properly. Part of it is we don't have conversations with clients about how they want to be serviced. 
Part of it, quite honestly, is I think clients' expectations get, continue to get more and more unrealistic that, you know, the instant access they have to us 24-7 because of our smartphones and everything else makes it damn near impossible to service them all to the level they want. But at the end of the day, I think it's because we are so busy chasing new business that we don't take care of the clients we already have. And you know, there's a the, the other business growth is the other data point that I love in, in on that question, um, Jay, is that like a third of these folks who fired an agency said their agency didn't have the expertise that they promised yeah. that they would have. Wow. So I agree wow. with everything that Drew says, but I think some of this is our fault as agencies, yeah. you know, as things as especially digital, right, grows so rapidly, what you need to be an expert in just explodes. And we all know agencies out there writing checks that they're <laughs> that they can't, you know, pay on because they're committing to be able to do this and that and scrambling to find resources to do it. And they there are agencies out there that don't have the expertise that they're promising. And there's a third of these folks who say they fired an agency um, for that reason. So I think it speaks to what Drew was talking about with really sort of focusing on what you want to do as yep. an agency and making sure you do it well and you can deliver. Because I think um, sooner or later, you're going to get caught and well, they're going to get fired. Quite know? honestly, a lot of times it's as simple as, and I find this all the time when I go into agencies, it's not that they're not taking good care of the clients. It's that they're not, that's whiskey in that tea bottle, isn't it? <laughs> You'll never know. Okay, I was tequila. Um, I'm, I'm feeling bad that I didn't think to do that. But it's not that they're not taking good care of the clients. It's that they're not good at merchandising how they're taking care of the client. Mm -hmm. So in, in some of the boot camps and other things yeah, that you do teaching people yeah. how to be better at account service, a lot of it is about being proactive in reporting to clients what you've done for them mm -hmm. and keeping them more plugged in as to where mm -hmm. things are in the process. A lot of it is just... When, when you don't communicate with them, they assume something's gone wrong and they get anxious. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and so that anxiety turns into dissatisfaction. So a lot of times it's just that they aren't being smart enough about communicating. And, and Drew, that's, that's kind of a segue into one, something that I wanted to talk about. I think one of the big parts of kind of demonstrating that value is, is in how you bill or expense and showing the return on, on the agency expense. I know back in the, uh, in the, in the mid-90s mid when I, was, I got my start in agencies, really the way that everything was structured is pretty similar to as it is today. Everybody has billable hours, um, and, and mostly the agency kind of breaks even on account service. Uh, creative services is a loss lead, but your, 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 your dollars are really made by the media buying department. Yeah. You know, people, more to the analytical geeks who sit down on the floor without, uh, without windows. How has that changed now? And you, know, you hear stories with some of the larger agencies doing kind of pay for performance you know, we're going to go away from the professional services structure. We're going to go away from commissions yeah. and kind of general contracts. How is all of that changing, especially now with social media kind of changing the game yet again? For most agencies, media is no longer the way they make the majority of their money. For, for most agencies, you know, it used to be that an agency, if you looked at their gross billings, 70% of that was passed through cost of goods like media and all of that, and then they lived off the rest. And now that's completely flipped. Most agencies are in the 50, 60, 70% that drops down to the bottom line because they're not really doing the kind of media buying that they used to do. So now it's really based on I'm selling my expertise. Mm -hmm. Most agencies don't bill, or at least most AMI agencies, because those are the ones I'm exposed to and the ones that I'm coaching, they don't bill by the hour anymore. They're billing by a, on a project fee basis. 
Um, and so now it's my job to run the project efficiently and effectively to be profitable, right? But, but at the end of the day, you still are basically selling hours and expertise. And if you're a generic agency that has no point of difference, so I, I work with the butcher baker, the candlestick maker, like every other agency, I'm a commodity and it's pretty tough for me to make a living. So today, agencies are really starting to narrow their focus, both in terms of the services they offer and the kind of businesses they serve. So they can charge a premium price because they have a depth of expertise yeah. that is worth that price. Mm-hmm. Let's, talk a little bit, let's talk a little bit about digital since this is the Social Pros podcast. Right. Um, uh, I think the report said, and this is in my notes, and I just want to confirm this, that according to your research, amongst the, res- the respondents, 40% of their budget was digital marketing. Yeah, I think that's about right. It, it was, seemed like a lot, wow. even to me. Well, and, I'm a and, it's, and it's shifting. It's, yeah, it's, it's over 40% yeah. for online and digital marketing, which in the study we um, defined as ads, media, SEO, website, social content, sort of that whole digital mix. Marketing um, automation. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, traditional advertising and media was like 30%. And, and the thing that was so striking, um, you know, the segments that we found in the study, these folks who feel really differently about agencies um, are different in a lot of ways. And on this, they are absolutely in lockstep. There is no difference, um, regardless of budget size, regardless of attitudinal segment in terms of how they are allocating whatever budget is they have, which we know it's over half a million, but some are four million or more. Um, and yeah, the online and digital was over 40% for all of those segments. We don't have it broken out by paid versus organic within digital, correct? We don't, we don't have it quite that, that thin. That's correct. Uh, Elisa, uh, Meredith just asked that in yeah. the, uh, in the chat. That's correct. And, and so, so 40% seems like a lot, even to me and probably to Adam as well. Uh, mm-hmm. we're in the right business, brother. Let's keep on doing this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but again, but forty-five percent drew right. Forty-five percent say they're going to put even more money into right. digital next year. Yep. But but again, when you go back to what we talked about earlier, which is this hunger for ROI, and remember the pressure. What's measurable? Online's measurable. are under to prove that their marketing spend is good. So that's that's a fallout from the recession that has not gone away. Which is, yeah. hey, I'm going to give you a budget CMO, but you better prove that it's worth what that we bet that we got out of it what we spent. So CMOs are under incredible pressure to be able to walk into the C-suite and go, I need more marketing budget, but look what I did with it. And, you know, the measurability and the metrics that come with digital are, are not matched anywhere in any other sort of marketing. And so yeah. that's when, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the, the research that Marketing Props did with Content Institute and all those folks. Yeah, of course. The number one goal was lead generation and sales. Yes. Attributable sales. And, and what's interesting in our study is when we asked them to rank agencies' skill levels, where agencies fell the lowest was lead generation and sales. So yeah. agencies have some room to prove to clients that they're good at this. Let's, uh, let's generate some leads uh, for our sponsors. Uh, first, let me tell you about uh, our friends at Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Uh, yes, ring the bell for Salesforce. Ring the bell Our longtime sponsor, the employer of Mr. Adam Brown. Uh, they have a free ebook that you should download as soon as we're done here uh, on Blabro. If you listen to this down the road. Uh, yeah, Jess says we need a different sound effect uh, for each sponsor. Maybe for next year. We, we need a, I need that horn. Yeah, yeah. We're going to need a better, a bigger budget. Um, 
So, uh, Jess, put these in the chat uh, when you hear me say this. So, uh, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, Adam's organization, has a free ebook that you should download called Winning at Social, Four Steps to Enhance Your Social Media Strategy, uh, all about how to create one-to-one customer journeys across all the touch points in your organization. It's equal part social media marketing and social media customer service. Good stuff, free from Salesforce. Go to convinceandconvert.com slash 27. That's convinceandconvert.com slash the number 27 uh, to download that. Also this week, our friends from Formstack. Love these guys, formstack.com. I use it every single day myself. They power all the forms uh, at convinceandconvert and jbear.com and hugyourhaters.com. So let's say you don't want to work with your IT guy to make a form because the IT guy is kind of a dick or whatever. So the best thing to do is use formstack.com because then as just a humble marketer, you can create, test, optimize your forms yourself, which is fantastic. Um, So Formstack has some amazing research because they get all these clients. And so they have a report called the form conversion report, which shows you how to make little tweaks to your forms to increase, um, ex- uh, increase conversion rate. Uh, and they have a little trick, a little social media trick that increases conversions by an average of 189%. Find out what that is. Go to convinceandconvert.com slash 30. That's convinceandconvert.com slash the number 30. Thanks as always to our friends at Formstack. And last this week, uh, our pals at Affinio, I've been telling you about Affinio for weeks. Uh, we use this every day at Convince and Convert to learn more about our clients uh, and what they should be doing in terms of social content. So Affinio takes your Twitter audience, your Facebook audience, uh, your Instagram audience, your Pinterest audience, and does a super deep analysis to figure out how those people combine. What what are the ties that, that make them uh, work? It's essentially a segmentation analysis, like what Susan does at Audience Audit. Uh, and then tells you, hey, here's the hashtags they use. Here's the content they like. Here's the things they click. You should, for example, um, create more content about trucks because your audience, for reasons that no one quite understands, really, really likes trucks. Super great uh, for editorial calendar planning. That's Affinio. Go to convinceandconvert.com slash nine. That's convinceandconvert.com slash the number nine uh, to learn more about those guys. And thanks, as always, to our sponsors. Great. Susan and Drew, I wanted to kind of start our next segment with a couple of questions. I think one of the things, I can't remember, Susan, if it was you or Drew, mentioned that you did kind of dual uh, research here in 2014 and 2015. Now, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of time, but we know that internet years are like dog years, so you multiply by seven, so that is an eternity. So my big question is, what is the biggest change that you've seen in the 2014 and the 2015 uh, data and research capture? Well, the studies were a little different. So 2014, we were going after organizations that specifically had smaller marketing budgets. I think they were they were like up to a million, I think, in 2014. And this has a much larger range of budgets and many larger budgets. So it's not truly apples to apples. Um, we talked to the 2014 group about why they the kind of relationship they want to have with an agency. So it wasn't specifically about hiring and firing, but how do you want to work with your agencies? What role do you want them to play? How do you feel about them? Are they a partner? Are they a vendor? Sort of, where's that? And, um, you know, Drew, you know, certainly speak to this on your own, but to me, there was a lot that resonated across the studies. You know, um, we do a lot of, all of our work is attitudinal segmentation. And it's true that sometimes we see huge shifts 
um, in attitudes. Like I do work with higher ed and it's changing so much and the online educational platforms and stuff like that. We're seeing some attitudinal shifts about how people view uh, education and the kind of education and sort of how the role that education plays. And I think we can see some of that here, but there's a lot of consistency just year to year um, in the attitudinal aspects that, that these folks, these buyers have with regard to, um, you know, working with their agencies and, and, you know, we didn't see any, any radical shifts from that standpoint. Drew, did you, do you remember anything that no, but, but radically I, different? I think what's more important is what we didn't see, which is, <laughs> um, I don't, I, I think a lot of agencies have, are sort of hoping that this, want to work with multiple agencies and have less trust in the agencies is going to go away. And what we saw was that it's not going to go away. And one of the things that I talk to agency owners about all the time is this is your new normal and you've got to figure out how to do business in this new normal. And the, you know, the, the age old adage, the, I know half my advertising is working. I just don't know what half that doesn't work anymore. And it's not, we're not going to go back to just having really great creative is enough. I don't think you. I don't think you can unring that bell, um, and so I think that to me is that there was no change. Is sort of reassuring isn't the right word because I don't know that a lot of agencies think it's good news, but it is consistent consistency that we need to pay attention to and understand that this is the way we have to conduct business now. And these are yeah. a lot of agency owners got into the business of agencies because they didn't like math and metrics and all of that and. Right. Guess what, kids? <laughs> you you got to learn that stuff now. And, and, and the old fact, bait and switch. Right? Wish you attended algebra a little more. Well, you know, and you need to understand how business works. One of the things that clients are telling us loud and clear is, I don't want to talk about marketing. I want to talk about business results, and I only want an agency that can help me with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Let me ask another question about social. Um, when we looked at the uh, at kind of how agencies are selected in this research, mm-hmm. uh, 25 to 30 percent, um, depending on the segmentation of the of the companies that hired agencies said that they actually review social media posts from the agency and from agency personnel yeah. and use what they find for for somebody who tweets or Facebook or LinkedIn, or what have you. Uh, and use that as a decision point in hiring the agency. Twenty-five to thirty percent is. Does that number uh, strike you as as high or low? Well, I actually, it's it's actually almost double that number because it's about thirty percent that are looking at content by agency personnel, professional content, okay. um, work related blogs, guest blogs, presentations, stuff like that. And then there's another twenty-five percent that say they are reviewing personal social media posts. Wow. By agency personnel. Wow. So, yeah. and, and even more so, one of the things I found amazing is they will go to LinkedIn and hunt down former employees, mm. and former clients, and reach out to them and ask them if you suck or not before yeah. they will interview you as an agency. So, yeah, they will they, socialize they, with they, your clients. It's, it's not just we're going to go to your website anymore, although yeah. they talk about that and they talk about how awful agency websites are, which we could do a whole different podcast on that. But they're going much deeper than that. They're paying a lot of attention to the social of your current employees and also even using social as a research tool beyond that. Yeah, 25%. I mean, looking at looking at employees' social. So you've yeah. got, you know, reviewing Ju- Julie, Julie the posts. intern, you know, right. Julie the intern right. is like doing something crazy on Instagram. Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, that 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 should 
send a shiver through the spine of all agency personnel uh, watching or listening because um, I mean, even in our organization, I don't, I don't pay much attention uh, to what our team is doing in social personally, which is probably um, why you're not doing better. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that could be you know, I'm wearing this stupid Santa hat. Knowing your team. No, uh, just kidding. No, it's clear. It was striking to me. Yeah. I mean, the combination of those two things, both what your employees are doing from a business standpoint on social and other platforms and what, and what their personal stuff is doing. And then as Drew said, as part of the evaluation process, seeking out to socialize with your other clients or yeah. former clients, socialize yeah. with them. Yeah, but again, this gets to the point of an agency owner's responsibility of having a conversation with your employees saying, look, anytime you're out in the social space, you are in essence on stage. You're not behind stage. You are on stage. And so how you conduct yourself, both personally and professionally, does reflect upon this place. And while I can't tell you what you can post and not post, I do have some boundaries or some rules in my agency that says, you know, for example, I worked with an agency owner who had an employee who had to have a carry and con- or conceal and carry license and would talk about how she, she, by the way, would be packing most of the time. And they had to have a conversation about Perhaps that's not good Facebook content because our clients are freaking out that you're walking into their business carrying a gun. You know, so again, part of it is just having common sense conversations with our employees, but understanding that that is part of their professional profile, whether they like it or not. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I think too often times the cobbler's kids go barefoot. I mean, as it relates to agency people, you know, after after the nine to five hours or wherever their billable yeah. hours take them, as well as the agency. Uh, yeah. You know, you look at the, the tweets and the posts and the other social media offerings of the big agencies, and it's, they just aren't they aren't they aren't that good. Yeah. Yep. I did want to bring a question up from from one of the people on our blab right now from Elisa Meredith, and she asked a question here in terms of what's the feeling on agencies partnering together to provide services for one company? I think uh, Elisa is probably talking about the non like Omnicoms or held companies, which that's their entire bread and butter, bigger share of of clients. Uh, are, are agencies, small, medium-sized agencies collaborating or operating completely separate? Or, you know, you hear about a lot of agencies that do have some small kind of niche networks that they participate in. So one, one of the things that I'm seeing is, so, you know, part of AMI are the owner peer network. So think of it as a Vistage group, but everybody in the group is an agency owner, right? So a lot, there's a lot of a collaboration there where they, a PR shop will partner with a media shop, will partner with somebody else because they're known entities and they know... One of the reasons why agencies don't partner with other agencies is they're afraid someone's going to get in, you're letting a fox into the hen house, and they're going to steal the eggs. But right. when you have this allegiance, yeah, clients are loving it because you're saying, look, I'll be your lead agency, but I'm bringing these specialists in who do this and nothing else all the time, and I'll manage that for you, or we can all come together. But we work together all the time, so we have this collaborative spirit rather than, uh, you know agencies sort of taking shots at each other behind the scenes to try and make sure they're the lead dog in that relationship. So when you can figure out how to do it collaboratively, clients love it. It's just that most agencies don't play in the sandbox well together. That's the problem. It's not clients. It's not that they object to having multiple agencies together. It's the way we conduct ourselves in the sandbox together that gets irritating to clients. Mm-hmm. Do both of you think that the, I mean, this is something that I think every agency owner talks about, but, you know, is the era of the big agency over? 
or you know, we, we've talked about that you know the need for specialists. We've talked about the niche. We've talked about the kind of the diversification. So what happens to the big the big agencies, which of course are the bread and bread and butter of the publicly traded, the Omnicoms, the WPPs, and the like? Are they having to reinvent themselves more or less than the small to medium sized agencies? Well, the truth of it is, there's always going to be big clients who want big agencies. But the lion's share of businesses out there are small to mid-sized businesses who have no business working with a big agency because they would be such a little fish in that pond. So the truth of it is, it's it's sort of like dating. There's somebody out there for everybody. Mm -hmm. The lion's share of agencies are small, as are the lion's share of businesses out there hiring agencies. But I do think that what we're seeing is even the small to mid-sized clients don't trust that one agency can have it all under one roof. Mm -hmm. And are getting more sophisticated about how they're budgeting and how they're allocating their dollars and how they're finding and selecting, evaluating, and then choosing agencies. I mean, one of the things we saw in the study that was really interesting was a lot of these folks are um, taking agencies through an evaluation process that includes far more than just the you know, director of marketing and the VP making the call. They're meeting folks across the organization and those folks are weighing in on whether to choose that agency. So those relationships with sort of a deep bench is important um, for agencies and it comes up over and over again in the research. I see one other question from KG7. Do you think agency work, and Susan, I'll I'll start you with this one. Uh, Do you think agencies work more in an assembly line work structure or do they do what they're do or do what they're more familiar with because they can show more previous results. I mean, the, you know, if it works, you know, if it works once for one client, by God, we're going to do it again for client number two, even if it's the square uh, peg in the proverbial round hole. I mean, I, I, you know, in my own agency experience, I've certainly seen some of that, you know, just trying to be whatever, you know, somebody wants you to be, um, you, you're probably talking to the wrong person because I am the world's biggest fan of focus. I am. And Drew and I have had this conversation um, many times about finding something that you want your agency to stand for that's going to differentiate you, that you can be really, really good at and just go kill it You know, with that. I mean, my firm, all we do is attitudinal segmentation work for agencies. That's all we do. Um, and that focus has been great for our organization in terms of being visible in that space. Um, But also it's helped us make sure that everything we do is focused on those customers and what they need. So I think there's, you know, in my own personal opinion, there's a lot to to value in getting really good at something um, and going after that. But as far as the sort of assembly line thing, I mean, Drew probably has more experience with many more agencies than I do with that regard. Yeah, I I would say the good agencies, no, they're not. They, their systems and processes are are regimented and they've sort of got that figured out so that they can be free to be creative in sort of the solutions they bring to clients, but they have a system and process of doing the work and getting it done in an efficient and effective way. But the truth is, as we become more, as the clients become more demanding about results, you can't really cookie cutter it because it doesn't deliver the results and no clients word. are much less tolerant of that. You get fired faster than ever before if you don't deliver results. So you really can't give everybody the same widget, but it doesn't mean that you don't have process around how to customize or create the solution that's right for that client. So I think it's sort of the agency model is is still 
all about arbitrage. I mean, you can change how you package that, but it's still about hiring people at one level of fee and then charging more for that time. I mean, you know, sure. it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's always like they may not charge by the hour, but it's still the same idea, which is, um, you know, you, you, you pay them this and then you charge this. And, and so you have to have some kind of operating efficiencies. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the things that we do, we do a lot of consulting for agencies as Drew knows. And, and one of the things that my team and I work on a lot with agencies is look, I know you can do 30 things, but why don't we do five and get good at those five? So every time you do those five, you're not reinventing the wheel because every time you reinvent the wheel, you guarantee that you will lose money on that project and that client. But if you've done it more time than once, then all the fool's tax that you paid to learn how to do it has already been paid. Now, could that be construed as assembly line thinking? Possibly, but I just think it's, it's good business. I mean, anytime Mm -hmm. you're selling human capital, um, you have to have some measure of efficiency involved. Otherwise, uh, you can you can be creative right out of business. Yeah, I think it's really important for any organization, agencies included, to know what kind of work to say no to, just because it doesn't fit. I mean, you know, we do a lot of survey work, and I could potentially take a client who wanted me to execute a survey in five different kinds of Swahili, but it would, it would probably not be a money-making venture for me because <laughs> that's not what we do. So yeah, I agree. Also depends on what they're buying. So if you're an SEO shop, is it more assembly line? Probably, you know, if, if you are a PR shop, is it assembly line? Probably not. Every pitch is probably pretty different and how you talk to different reporters. So it also depends on the kind of agency you are. Uh, I think most agencies, agency owners and people who work in agencies, as soon as you say the word system, they start to shudder a little bit because they're so proud of how custom everything is. But the reality is systems free us up to be more creative and the good agency owners recognize that and embrace it. So you systemize what you can so that you can be free to create this part of the work that you should create. That is the headline for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. I was waiting for it. It will be. Write this down, Jess, who's listening in. How to systematize your creativity this week on the Social Pros Podcast. There you go. Bam. Look at that. We're making magic. Oh, and the bell. (laughs) We've got the special bell. Nicely done. Welcome. All right. We're going to ask you guys the two questions that we've asked all 198 guests on this program or whatever we've had historically. Uh, I'm going to ask each of you a question instead of asking each of you both questions. That will be too complicated. So I'd like uh, a question, please. What, which question would you like? The easy one. Oh, the easy one. Um, <laughs> okay, All right, I'll give you the easy one. You can be first. Uh, Drew McClellan, who is the uh, founder of the Agency Management Institute uh, and a fantastic gentleman and joining us on his birthday, the question for you is, what one tip would you give somebody who is looking to become a social pro? Uh, I would say um, pick one medium and spend time there and get proficient and be yourself and for the love of God, be as genuine as you can be and recognize that much like we talked about with the employees, you're on stage. So even though you're sharing all of your life, um, it's sort of like, you know, you decide which jokes you tell your grandma or your church friends. <laughs> so, you know, be mindful of how you want to be perceived and be that. Well said, completely mm-hmm. agree with that. Uh, my friend, Susan Beyer, who's the founder of audience audit. Uh, and we get to work together on a couple projects coming up. And I'm so excited about that. Me it's been too, too long. Um, the last question for you before we uh, open it up to uh, guests who may want to join us here on Blab is if you could do a Skype call or a Blab more appropriately with any living person, who would it be? With any living person? Any living person. Living person. Without us. 
Not you guys through doesn't not count. us. It has to be beyond Jeez, that. A Skype call with any living person. Mm. And with rest. Jeez, that's really hard. Probably Brene Brown. That'd be my person. Good one. I would love to just, yeah, I feel like I'd come out of that being a lot better shape than I am going into it. You would hope, right? I would hope. You feel pretty cheated if you're like, God, I feel worse. She's awesome. (laughs) We'll make sure if anybody's not familiar with her her work, we'll link it up in the show notes. Uh, Just a a tip on that to folks who are watching live. If you go to socialpros.com, socialpros.com, you get all of the archives of, uh, of this show. We're now entering our fifth year. Uh, 196 episodes or something like that of the show. So uh, you can catch all of that uh, on the interwebs. All right. I'm going to uh, temporarily kick Adam out uh, to open up the seat. Uh, and then I may kick myself out uh, and let Adam come back in and, uh, and host a little about this. So uh, any of you who are uh, watching and want to uh, chat with our friends, uh, Drew and Susan, we're going to do that in just a second, but first I'll close up the regular part of the show. So we've got a clean break uh, for iTunes uh, thanks very much for joining us, Drew. Fantastic to see you as always. Susan, great to see you as well. Congratulations you, on Drew. another fine uh, research project. Uh, Thank make you. sure you go to the show notes to download uh, the research for yourself. Uh, on behalf of Mr. Adam Brown from Salesforce.com, I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, and this has been Social Pros. Thanks for tuning in to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, Affinio, Sprout Social, Formstack, and Cision, and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Social Pros at marketingpodcasts.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts. Podcast imaging by audio